I guess it's, uh, you know, kind of uh, funny that such an avid car lover ends up with a car salesman. Maybe not the coincidence that, uh, uh, or so forth, right? But yeah, she's had a, oh boy, a Lotus Elite, um, an M, uh, or sorry, an M3 Beamer, an ML5500, um, okay, Dodge Charger. Uh, I sold her a 2SS 2016 Chevy Camaro. I actually, in my time at Duick, also sold her a Honda Ridgeline. She currently drives an M3 electric Beamer. Um, so, yeah. Uh, how many, I know how many did you sell her of those? Just two. Just two. I, I always said, bad. I wish I'd met you earlier, right? But uh, I don't know if that would have been to prevent other salesmen from making money or trying to make a little bit more myself, but uh, all our money's always gone to the same place. So I guess it is what it is. And so she came in, uh, in what year? Do you remember she first started coming into the dealership? Oh boy. Yeah. So when I first met her, she was, um, when I first met her, she was a, uh, um, Oh boy, now, now you're really going to get me in trouble here. I believe it was about a few years ago, uh, or about four years maybe. She came into the dealership and she was um, actively looking for her birthday car. She was getting some inheritance money and was dead set on a Chevy uh, Corvette. She always wanted to be a Corvette driver. And she came across a Craigslist ad. And she often talks about just the laughter her and her mom had and said, look at this arrogant uh, salesperson. He's got his hand beneath his chin and her and they were just laughing. And she said, oh, what a you know douchebag or, or however you want, you want to word it. And she said, I'm going to call this guy. Like, let's see what is this guy all about, right? And uh, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, when she made that call, she followed in my uh, line of prospects and follow-up, which is religiously ruthless in every sense of the word. Uh, you know, I always uh, really appreciate and respect every lead I ever got and followed it up uh, very um, intensively and uh, continuously until, you know, either someone says, John, I'm not buying from you, you know, go away, which very suddenly almost never happened or, I'm shaking their hands and putting them on my uh, infamous Twitter account and uh, relishing in the memories every year by sending out personalized cards and so forth. And actually, I was talking to my buddy the other day. He's like, I don't, I'd never had a salesman like that. He's like getting like magnets and pictures of the sale like five years after and slapping it up on my fridge. He's like, you know, and then people, everyone that comes in wants to know who's this picture, who's this guy. I haven't seen anything like that, right? So, it's, uh, you know, I can get off a tangent and talk forever about uh, uh, how it all transpired and went through. But one thing uh, she's and, and Miss Queen Bee of visiting lots and, um, you know, greeting and going. If there's anyone to make a testament about car sales, she's probably met half of them yeah, in, in uh, Vancouver, I'm sure, or the lower mainland. And she's like, I can't even believe it. Like, you called me every few weeks, checking in, giving me new info, informing me. And this was someone who came in on the lot just looking at a Corvette saying, I'm going to buy in about a year on my birthday when I get some inheritance money. Um, needless to say, when that exact day came, hey, Adriana, I understand you are, came across that congratulations, birthday, got the inheritance money. Like, 
how are we going to go about getting you in this Corvette? And she said, oh, I knew after all the follow-up that you'd certainly remember. She's like, I was counting on your call today. And I was like, yeah, well, of course. And uh, long story short, uh, she didn't particularly have a ride out to the dealership at that point. I forget for what reason. And, uh, you know, I uh, graciously showed up at her doorstep. Um, but to her surprise, not in a Corvette. I was actually in a 2SS Chevy Camaro. And, uh, you know, I don't want to really get into the reasoning of that. I, I always said in my entire career, I don't think I ever signed a deal, Josh, that I wouldn't sign myself. That was my philosophy, right? Like if I wouldn't sit there and sign the deal myself, I wasn't going to sell it. I was an integrity-based salesman. I prided myself on that. People reached out to me because they know, knew they weren't going to get schlacked. They knew they weren't going to get a bad deal. They knew I'd put them in a car that was going to treat them the best, right? But uh, yeah, I guess the reason I did that was I was a little bit concerned about maintenance and not having warranty. And I think in retrospect, if I'd really thought of it, it would have been more about uh, retail resale value given how much she swaps cars but i think when i spoke to her she kind of said she was going to keep it for five years and that ended up being much shorter than that um but it still worked out okay for her but uh yeah i think it was a, a more of a uh trying to look out for her best interest you know maybe some better fuel economy um but also some savings it was a last of a 16th clear out model and, um, you know, I'm not going to say that maybe there's a little bit more of uh, a percent of commission in it on my end. I, I don't really want to uh, uh, get get into that. But I, I knew I liked this girl and I wanted to help her out. And uh, sometimes there's some big flat rates on these clear out models. And you can kind of have a win-win scenario where you give her a smoke and hot deal. She saves kind of a ton of money and you still kind of make it a little bit worth your while. I don't know if that makes sense, but you guys, the car guy are probably laughing and she's probably going to watch it later and, and have, I'll have some explaining to do. Right. But uh, no, I think it was a great car for, her. we had tons of fun. I, I think to the practicality of it, um, you know, getting a young girl into a car with, you know, virtually no back seat and some, and a big hard top that you got to take off the one she was looking at and no space. And, or, you know, to have the luxury, just hitting the button, a thing retracts and it was the latest and greatest one. It was the new model of the time. So there was some excitement there, but yeah, we jumped in uh, the car and, and she was, uh, I don't, I, I always get razzed on, on, uh, uh, by her I'm, apparently i'm an old man driver i guess maybe it makes sense i'm a little bit older than her but uh she kind of expected like this hot uh, cool world famous car salesman to be freaking tearing the thing down the street and i always took the more practical approach um i actually had an incident well maybe we won't talk about that I had an incident with a camaro where i got some trouble at the dealership uh later on years later uh, had a little suspension for a week or two for sure for that one but uh yeah the uh i don't know it was uh i guess that's how it all transpired i don't want to make this so was that officially so hold on now does she call you jonathan or john oh boy i you know i i have this thing it reminds me of a story um i'd walk down the hallways of a school and i i just have the utmost gratitude I think I was very privileged and I don't want to come across as pompous, but I, I came from the, the most uh, high esteemed high school there ever was, you know, my experiences at Vancouver college. Um, if there's any opportunity for anyone to put their kids in that school, I could write a novel and essay about how much better my experiences were at that school and how impressed I was with that particular uh, education than any 
thing in my life by a, by a huge margin. You know, the higher level intelligence that that school is run compared to the tuition I worked at, it, it just trounces it. It would be embarrassingly in comparison, right? But um, w- with that said, the um, I uh, oh, so I kind of got off track here. I was like trying to trying to put it all together, but uh, I think you're going to tell me how you end up with Jonathan or John. Yeah, so I was walking down, walking, you know, in school. I remember the story particularly, and I'm walking down the hallways, and uh, a principal, uh, I think it was Roger Delore, of, of most respect for, this amazing pr- principal, you know, he, and somebody was witnessing this and watching, and they told the story later, right? But you just see someone scream, Overton! And I, you know, I'm walking shoulder to shoulder with my twin brother, and I turn around and I'm like this, and, and he is just walking as if no one said anything, right? So I was always called Overton. So I guess in, in short, she often calls me Overton. I know that sounds weird, and she wasn't anywhere in my life in that particular time, but the Overton name has always stuck with me. A lot of people uh, just refer to me as Overton. Uh, you know, obviously, I get a lot of, you're a Duick sales guy. Um, you know, people continuously question the orange sunglasses. They'd be like, why do you wear orange sunglasses? Well, it was a branding strategy. You know, I'd walk into a superstore next to the dealership and everyone would be like, you're a Duick sales guy. Well, the orange glasses were the giveaway. If I wasn't wearing orange glasses, you know, sometimes I was wearing suspenders and amongst the rest, but I kind of always brought the orange sunglasses around just to kind of, uh, you know, distinguish myself and kind of advertise by walking and doing daily things like uh, grocery shopping and all the rest. Right? So, but yeah, Overton, I think that's a uh, sorry, long-winded answer. I realize we don't have other people on the show here, so I'm trying to help you out here. I was trying to give so, so, so Overton is really uh, what you go by, and we always call you Jonathan, so we need to start calling you Overton. All my friends, all my closest people, yeah, Overton's kind of – Johnny O I get a lot. Johnny O was a big one, um, but Johnny O or Overton, yeah. And I had an abundance of nicknames, believe me. If they're in my entire life, like I was the man in nicknames, I could probably list a billion, but uh, I'll, I'll save myself the embarrassment for sure. I love those two for sure. And we're going to definitely be changing it up. But how did you end up in the car business? Wonderful. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, uh, oh boy, I'm going to be careful with this one. Um, okay, so I... I had a, I don't know if I, I don't really talk about my past and my athletics and stuff, but I, I am a chronic pain victim. I, I, I suffer pretty heavily from osteoarthritis and inflammations and I have for a long time and from results of a few injuries, but one major one that kind of ended my uh, sports career. Um, but through the rehab process of, of that particular injury, um, which was lengthy and involved almost a two year hiatus of me, sitting in an ice bath up to my neck with like eight jugs of milk jugs from a deep freezer of ice. And everyone kind of thought I'd lost my mind. And it was one of those injuries where the pain was horrendous, but I think the most, the hardest thing was the mental damage it caused because it never really prevented me from performing at a high potential. You know, I I would say my last two two years of junior lacrosse and SFU looking back at, I would say, at those particular times, it, I was probably operating at maybe 55% of my max potential, but unfortunately that was still good enough to kind of make my injuries a little bit undetected and unappreciated. Uh, it was a hard scenario. 
but through the rehabilitation process, um, after inflammation settled, uh, you know, sufficiently and so forth, uh, there is a process of, uh, from breathing exercises, but progress to heavier physio. And I was always heavily on Dr. Ho's machines and every tons of prolotherapy and needles. And, but through the extent of it, it eventually led to, um, needing to be a little bit more active, you know, swimming came big into play and then, um, bike riding. Uh, I had the good fortune, a, a really amazing family friend of ours, uh, the hard rows, uh, accepted me into a, a different profession and, and, uh, working on the, an engineering floor. And I, th- I think that was a pivotal mo- moment of my, my recovery because I had the opportunity to get off a forklift and, and sit and work at a, a desk. And I kind of enjoyed that. I enjoyed not really hurting myself and living through more pain than I necessarily had to and so forth. So the next progression after bike riding was walking and uh, they were the length of amount of walking that was recommended was uh, quite a bit and it was trying to make sense of it. And I stumbled across an opportunity to uh, work and do door to door sales. So it gave me an opportunity to walk make some money and and rehabilitate uh primarily my hip and pelvis uh, it was a a tear that turned into a, a a pull that turned into a stress fracture that turned into an osseous arthritic uh, condition uh how does something like that happen uh well when you're playing junior lacrosse and uh, taking a, a lot of painkillers and taping off circulation with sports rub and uh thinking you're Superman and indestructible and, and playing through games. And then, and then from that go directly into a season of football at SFU. It, yeah. It, uh, you know, uh, I think I really was uh, cursed with a uh, Superman syndrome. And I, I thought it was unbreakable. I thought I, I, I saw those, those I'd sit in, uh, you know, the auditorium and listen to these talks about people like putting your education first and when there's no life after sports and I thought I was so good that I just I honestly thought NFL pro lacrosse like that's just where my heart was and what my life was devoted to uh you know I commonly trained five hours a day for probably three plus years right and uh took the necessary steps at one point I was bench pressing over 100 pounds more than my weight but my career was so far gone from injuries that it didn't matter right so I wish I had listened to these people and took education and things more seriously uh, but I guess in short, I, I ended up going door to door and had a knack for it. I was a uh, top representative of 500 uh, all over the place. And everyone kind of loved and appreciated, had a great experience going door to door with me and found it so uh, fun and uplifting. And I made a lot of friends and had had a privilege of working for uh, Joel Pileggi. Uh I think when I start talking about the best pe- salespeople I've ever come across or met, uh, you know, I mentioned Ian Demansky on another episode that that was my um, mentor in car sales. Uh, but in sales in general, I, I, I would be hard pressed to say there was someone not as good as uh, Joe. Joe is absolutely a sensation, amazing salesperson, taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, if I ever started a dealership or was training people, I would require people to go and work a door-to-door job before before coming out there's no way door-to-door sales experience you'll get a master's degree in sales and learn more than you could ever on any sales floor uh, to me door-to-door is 
experience is probably the biggest testament to strength and character and endurance and, and overcoming adversity playing the law of average maintaining positivity the stuff that you have to learn and the skills you have to acquire just to survive in that kind of uh, holistic atmosphere or sorry yeah. a, a hostile atmosphere is is definitely something that uh you know if it doesn't uh break you it'll make you i, I think is a, a lame kind of term or so forth but anyways I, I talked about how many friends i made and i i felt like it's probably one of the most um you know i don't know how loved i was at, at duick to be honest but I, I was very loved at that particular company like everyone really loved me there and i made some amazing friends and met a lot of the most amazing salespeople you'd ever think imaginable people that it was a job you know where they would hire 10 people a week right but like the core people that made cool if you don't make quota you get fired obviously and the core group of people is probably under like two percent or one percent right so those core people you go and stick around for that time period were, were exceptional amazing unique awesome people and uh we grew a little close and uh, they weren't particularly fond of my ex-fiance. Um, so, and they, I don't think they, the girls in the office really got along with her. They kind of, I think saw some things they didn't like or whatever. So they were clashing or, or so forth. So I woke up one morning thinking I was super excited going into the field, going to start smashing some, uh, uh, some deals going door to door and so forth. And, uh, to my surprise, I looked at the alarm clock and it was a little bit earlier than I usually woke up. And uh, the fiance handed me a resume and said she had sent in a resume and a cover letter to do a call Marine and I had an interview at a certain time and uh, you better get there. So I went into the dealership and uh, I didn't want to go. I loved door to door. It was really, but it was wearing on my body. It was getting time. It was like, I was like, oh, if I keep doing this. It's, uh, you know, after, after six months or however long it was, I knew I had to get back in that desk, right? Like my uh, previous uh, amazing opportunity and experience at uh, analytic systems there. So I kind of recognized that a desk thing might be a, a good avenue. And uh, yeah, so I basically uh, went in for this interview and I'm thinking, man, I'll just go to please her. Like I'll never get, I was you know, primarily, I always say I was raised by a single mother, but I had an awesome father. We, I saw him, uh, uh, you know, I think it was every second Sunday or so forth. Uh, but yeah, so basically, I go into this thing thinking there's zero chance I could ever get a job. Like, I'm like, there's no chance, like, absolutely no way. Like, I know nothing about cars. Like, if you were to take someone that knew the very least about cars, I was that guy. Like, I didn't know what GM was, what GMC, what Chevy, what an engine was, what a V6 was, four-cylinder. Like, I I would have to say my knowledge of cars were probably under 1% of normal. Like, nothing about cars. Like, zero. And to my surprise, I had the wonderful pleasure of uh, meeting uh, Justin Gerbaia. And I always say his last name wrong and everyone gives me slack. Uh, and uh, I'll apologize in advance for that. But he was an amazing, amazing person. You know, one thing I learned from Joe Verdi is look, act, and sound like a pro. And I can confidently say without a doubt, um, he looks played the part of looking like a pro more than anyone I've ever been around. You know, he's a sharp dresser um, and a really uh, personable guy. And I remember I was sitting at the desk there at Duick, and uh, to my surprise, I don't think he ever asked me anything about cars. 
we started talking about football. We had a common uh, a coach that had coached me, Coach Uyama. He had known and known his son. We kind of just, uh, you know, uh, started talking about, like, I guess a master of building common ground, right? It's just the same kind of uh, thing I would talk to salespeople about is you can be as knowledgeable as you want. You can know everything. You don't build a, you don't build a relationship and make a friend. Um, and, you know, he obviously was a master of retaining uh, interviews because he played the part very well, very professionally. He built a friend. He made me feel great. And uh, all of a sudden changed my attitudes towards working there in a hurry just by having that personalness and uh, didn't come. If he had came off as confrontational and started grilling me about car knowledge, I probably would have walked out the door and said, this isn't for me. Uh, so kudos to him for having the hindsight of, uh, you know, focusing on common ground and building a relationship, which were skills that I later learned the importance of and uh, so forth later in my career. Right. But at that time, I just thought you're such an amazing guy. I think they did two interviews. One was Jen Nielsen. Uh, I was, uh, he kind of left and wasn't in uh, Duick. And then that's when Ian got hired. I, I, I believe with Jen's was there for about a month. I don't want to be wrong on that. Um, and then one interview was done by David Kent. And uh, David Kent, is uh, the vice pre- uh, president of sales there, is, is someone I have an extreme deal of respect for. He, uh, to me, I, I always believed he was... I don't know if necessarily, like, I think there's times where I would think maybe I was treated unfairly and, and his uh, decisions were swayed by uh, other other people in the dealership that had a little bit more uh, seniority and uh, preference over myself. But I, I, I consider him uh, a, a great boss and someone whose uh, time and, and uh, support I, I certainly appreciate. So I wouldn't say a, a bad thing about the gentleman at all. But, uh, yeah, so... I got the three interviews and uh, they were like, yeah, when you want to start, you want to start today? Like, what do you think? And, and I was like, what? Like, really? Like, and then, uh, yeah. So I, uh, it gave me the uh, very uh, trying uh, uh, kind of uh, decision-making uh, point of my life where uh, I, I think if it wasn't for health, if it wasn't uh, for, for the arthritis side of it and uh, uh, what I was dealing with physically, I, I don't think it ever would have happened. But um, that, along with some pressures from a jealous uh, ex-fiance, kind of uh, how it all transpired. I, I don't know if that makes I don't know if that makes too much sense or not. But that's uh, that's basically how it went down. And uh, yeah, from there, I, I remember sitting in the boardrooms and uh, you know with the other two people they hired and that was kind of the process that I think Duick has probably the highest turnover rate of, of new hires. It's a, it's a real tough environment. Like I would have guys that were 15 car plus guys and came to Duick thinking it was the best opportunity in the world. And they'd look at me like you, I have no idea how you do it. Like you would sell 50 cars at any other dealership a month. No problem. Like they would sell like one or two cars and be gone in a hurry. It's uh even when I went for VSA, they're like, oh, good luck at Duick on Marine. You know, it's kind of got that shark tank. It's got all the wily old vets and uh, a lot of uh, long-lasting, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the clientele go in there, have their salespeople and stuff. I, I, I won't get into the uh, deficiencies of the dealership. I don't want to be under the gun too much. I'll get a call from David and he'll be like, Jonathan. Like, or, I'm sorry, excuse me. I'm like, oh, Tim. But no, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, that's kind of how it all went down. and. Uh, uh, the one thing I, I knew 
and I was talking about Vancouver College earlier, is I, I'm a devout believer in process and philosophies and higher level learning and strategies. And I knew in my heart when when I got in there and watched those Joe Verde videos, I knew there's other different strategies. I knew there's other different, but I knew it wasn't about necessarily buying into uh, the the very best strategy, but I knew it was about buying into a strategy. And, and, you know, I, I, my, I credit why I lasted there so long is because I watched these videos and I followed the process and I learned the strategy and I had, uh, and, uh, you know, a backbone of support that wasn't, uh, you know, it's not like I was trying to reinvent the wheel. It was something that was a proven success method of a, a genius like Joe Verde. And I stuck to that along my career as much as possible and uh, I would definitely say I, I would attribute that, and along with uh, the the biggest Joel Verde walking talk. We gotta get Ian on the show, man. We gotta get him on the show. He, yeah. he's away. This guy's the best car guy there ever was. Man. He's outstanding. And unfortunately, I think he had a, he had a tough go at Duke. I think when you have innovative and strong and outgoing and kind of uh, break the 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 uh, bubble or bust the bubble and kind of. Uh, forward-thinking people like it's kind of an atmosphere that forces stuff people like that out pretty hurry right you're kind of under the gun and uh not really accepted with uh the regular status quo so he kind of uh i think he kind of uh you know saw the writing on the wall and and, and chose a different avenue stuff but uh definitely i always think about how much stronger and better of a salesperson i would have been if he was around me for another five years like i would would definitely think that my uh, salesmanship would be tremendously better to this day. But, you know, I, I feel fortunate and blessed for the time I did have with them, right? Oh, there's so many, I think, that learn from Joe Verde. And you have the heart of a learner. And you definitely, uh, with your background and your work ethic, are an astute uh, student. And I can only imagine once you get your mindset on something, what you're willing to uh, learn and practice to get there. But let's go back to, that's phenomenal to be number one out of 500 door to door, my goodness. And then fast forward back, uh, fast forward though for a second, back to Adriana here. So how did the, was the first date officially when you picked her up with the uh, SS or uh, what, what was the first day? How does one go from selling cars to uh, the queen of shopping uh, to uh, did she ask you out because of your follow up or is it because you just uh, realized that you better lock this down? <laughs> oh, boy, I got my coffee here. Uh, it's a McDonald's <laughs> one. I usually drink Tim Hortons. That's a great question. I, I should have known what I was getting into here with an interviewer like yourself. Uh, <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that. Now I got to be careful because it's like if I say something, maybe you know it's. Uh, oh hey, I've been, I've been married eighteen years, so yeah, you better be careful. Um, well, I talked earlier about pain and stuff, and I think even last episode I talked about how you know I I was a bit of a drinker after work and, and long hours and stuff, and uh, I I would say most of my drinking it was kind of like a self medicating type thing, right? Like, uh, you know, just to keep my head straight, you know, when you endure pain and your life is riddled with pain to, to have those moments where you can go home and be on a computer and do some drinking and stuff. That's kind of the, that's the time of your life that keeps you sane, right? Because it's more of your pain free. The, the trick is sometimes you drink, you want to go run a marathon, right? The trick is more like to be able to drink and enjoy the pain freeness and not get carried away with the, the drunkenness that comes with it. I don't know. That's a, a struggle, right? But, uh, yeah. So, uh, when I met, uh, 
Adriana, I, I, I really wasn't in the mode. I kind of just gone over an ex-fiance and it wasn't something that I feel like I pursued very heavily. I kind of said, look, like, you know, uh, um, yeah, you're young. Like, I, I don't know. It wasn't ever even really brought up because I'm like, it's you're so much younger than myself. And, uh, you know, I was like, look, I'm, you know, I wasn't really looking for a partner and so forth. So I think how it was played was, um, when she initially wanted to buy a Corvette, she wanted to buy a standard. And she said, well, you know, pro- promise me when I buy the car, you'll give me a driving lesson, teach me how to drive a standard. And then when it turned to a Camaro, I guess she decided she didn't want to drive stick with heels. I don't know if that's, but when it came to the Camaro side of it, she ended up going with automatic. So then after the deal was done, I was kind of uh, under the impression that my salesman duties uh, went on as usual, but she was like, you promised me a driving lesson. So that's kind of how it, how it transpired. And like, but it's automatic. You know how to drive. You've had multiple, like really fancy, expensive cars. But, uh, you know, me, she kind of uh, probably knew who she was dealing with. And I'm a man of my word and went and, and did that and so forth. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess that's, uh, you know, I remember even saying to her, you know, oh, I go home, I drink, I sell cars. I'm not the person for you, right? Like, I'm, I'm not a good partner. Like, you, you know, like, but it's, uh, <laughs> it is it is what it is. I think that's kind of how it, one thing led to another. I'm not. We got to get her on the show here uh, pretty soon and talk about Medi Spa Labella for sure. And uh, for time's sake, let's go to uh, what does Canadians or what do Canadians think about Memorial Day? Uh, You know, that was going to be topic one for those in the United States here as far as Memorial Day goes. What do Canadians think about that and what's it mean to them? Yeah, and uh, that's a bit of a... A tricky one because like well, November 11th is really the big day we celebrate, um, you know, our veterans and so forth. I, I think everyone has a great deal of respect for uh, the American military and virtually anyone that's uh, devoted their time to service. And everyone can appreciate that uh, how that's given us freedoms and luxuries and things that we have today that that we need to be grateful for and and that might not be necessarily um things might not necessarily be the way they are today without kind of everything and and the risks and the time and the hardships and devotion and all everything that you know being a man of service requires um with that said we, we don't it's not i think everyone kind of takes a moment you know myself i i reflect and have a moment of respect uh, I think over the years, knowing it's a holiday and so forth, but it is not a heavily uh, celebrated holiday in Canada. I, it is an American holiday. Uh, but with that said, I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Canadian that it doesn't have the utmost respect for uh, American military service and, uh, and so forth and express gratitude. And, um, but I think the majority of that for us Canadians is done on November 11th. And what does November 11th represent? Well, November 11th is, is and that's, you know, and I get that, right, because Americans celebrate it as well, right? So it's primarily uh, the Remembrance Day of the, of the, the World Wars, right? But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm myself, I, I should be a little bit more, uh, 
knowledgeable about all this military. My uh, grand's father and his father were both of very high rankings and, and trainers in the wars. And I think one fought in the war, but they both trained troops and so forth. And she's a military background, you know, 0800 hour or whatever it be, very time oriented. But uh, um, I think um, maybe if, if my, I think I kind of had a desire to personally maybe do some military stuff, uh, but given uh, some uh, physical limitations and injuries, I, I didn't have that opportunity, which is, you know, uh, it, it is what it is, but maybe that's kind of uh, uh, contributed to a little bit of, of maybe my full potential oh, of, of knowing, my full potential of knowing about, yeah. all, you know, all the ins and outs and so forth. But I, Superman, uh, Johnny O, Overton could definitely do the military, uh, not to take away from any of our outstanding uh, veterans out there and those in that are serving for, for uh, any country for that matter, you know, and of course, um, we are talking about the United States with uh, Memorial Day. However, uh, I'm always intrigued by other countries. And uh, when you mention uh, November 11th, what do uh, Canadians think about September 11th, you know, 9-11? You know, is that a, uh, is that something that is thought of uh, like it is here at all with the, with the Twin Towers going down? Oh, certainly. I I don't think, I don't think there's any neglect in Canadians, uh, you know, um, understanding or, or recognizing that date. Of, of course, that's a, a tremendously um, sad, sad uh, moment in, in everyone's lives that, that we're living and and so forth. And, uh, you know, I remember getting ready to go to Vancouver College and plugging in and seeing the, the pictures of the planes. And, you know, it's, I would compare it almost to, like, the pandemic in a sense where you just wouldn't think stuff like that is possible right like you just you don't really even believe it until you see it and um you know it almost seems surreal like like how could this happen uh you know but i i i think that uh i think september 11th is is definitely something that uh all canadians uh pay respect to and understand i I don't want to say more than memorial day right but uh you know, um, I, w- I would say that maybe a similar degree. Well, it would make sense. I mean, it's a, uh, it was because it was the world trade center too. There's probably more ties to a world event, you know, even though it happened on us soil, than definitely say Memorial day, which is typically a representation of the U S military and definitely no lack of respect here. And thank you uh, to all those who have served. And I've even been told that you don't necessarily thank uh, those who have been served on Memorial Day, because it's not about that. Um, however, I think that Memorial Day has transferred to even uh, just the average Joe or the civilians of the world to uh, go and hopefully celebrate life at, at any of their own personal memorials. I've seen people doing that more and more to where people will go uh, to a memorial uh, that may have nothing to do with the with the military and uh, go and uh, represent their feelings for their loss. Have you noticed any of that up there? Um, yeah, like I, I don't, I always, and you know, I don't, I don't want to uh, sound too pro Canadian, right. But I, I don't think any Canadian is short of uh, respect and, and gratitude and kind of uh, 
Uh, hey, uh, Johnny O, if the answer is no, as far as, um, you know, that, w- that was the whole conversation. So, I mean, you know, the, if, if it's a uh, American holiday and, and, you know, that's it, then that's what it is. I mean, and that's no uh, disrespect to Canada or the U.S. You know, I mean, like you said, you have November 11th and uh, you have definitely your own holidays. And we need to talk about those more and more, too, uh, because we always got to get the queen into the show. And uh, so there is no uh, disrespect given um, from you to the U.S. for not uh, celebrating Memorial Day, uh, you know, in the way we do. It's become a commercial uh, deal in the car business anyways, to where the, all the car business does is use it for an opportunity to sell more cars. Uh, and so I'm sure that there's veterans out there that find that disrespectful, let alone people that are currently serving. So there's no disrespect given. And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, how I'm intrigued by, you know, really um, other countries and stuff like that, um, I guess that when we're talking about travel, that can lead us right into maybe a lighter subject. Uh, so we're going from one extreme to the other as far as, you know, a somber uh, topic to now maybe a, a very positive one. And that is favorite places you've traveled and uh, where you're planning on traveling next once this, you know, uh, lifts as far as uh, open it all up for us to fly throughout all the realms. Yeah. And uh, I, I am, I've done some traveling. I'm not the most traveled person i was looking forward to uh um other josh's uh take on the, on this when, when i read that topic i was like oh boy i can hardly wait to hear it what he has well, to I was say hoping jake i was hoping jake was gonna be on because you know as we know he's been to- oh sorry jake jake that's what i meant sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah jake uh, the the traveler jake right so um but josh too sorry but yeah sorry i'm mixing up the names there uh jake and so forth but yeah i, I to me uh, travel experiences, you know, went to Vegas when I turned 21. Um, but as much as uh, I would say if I was a gambler, which I am, but that, that's probably, I, I think um, Hollywood, LA, I, I, I regard that as an amazing experience. Uh, Mr. Ted Ings had me flown out from the automotive industry to shoot some automotive industry videos with him. So to experience, uh, Hollywood for the first time with an automotive legend like like Ted Ings was really kind of not not just a dream come true for me but I think that'd be a dream come true for for almost most car salesmen of course right like that to me that was probably a pivotal highlight of my automotive career right to uh, kind of get to uh, experience uh, the knowledge that kind of he brings to the table he's a, a next level type guy for sure um but other than that, like locally, I would say uh, Kispiox. My uncle lives in Terrace. They, they have a music festival, and it's I kind of like stuff like that, just kind of camping and experiencing uh, creativity. And um, It's something I went to, you know, uh, five years ago and then came back to, five, you know, five years later and uh, to kind of experience, like, awesome events like that. I, I'm, I'm kind of into that. Call me a hippie, whatever you will. Like, I just I just kind of like the rural camping life and uh, having, you know, especially with the car industry, I don't think there's too many opportunities to camp, you know. I don't, uh, so even uh, nice little things like that, right? But uh, I think, uh, yeah, that's a tough question for me. I, I, I don't, I think there's an abundance of places I need to see and go travel, so... Uh, to pick where I'd go right away, but I think my favorite was was definitely the Hollywood experience with Ted Ames. It'd be tough to uh, trump that with anything. 
Hollywood. But I got to <laughs> tell you, we're, we're going to have to meet in Vegas uh, because I go two or three times a year. And as soon as this lifts, I might go every month for the rest of the year. As soon as I have the opportunity to get back to uh, my favorite, uh, my second home is down there in Las Vegas. And uh, I cannot wait to go. And by second home, I just mean going and staying at uh, any of the MGM properties, uh, you know, Aria, Mandalay uh, are my two favorites. Uh, and then from there, you know, I love New York, New York. I love that whole area there from Mandalay to Luxor to uh, even the the new, uh, the park, which was uh, the, the old uh, Mandalay, or I'm sorry, the old Monte Carlo and then to uh, Aria, I, I am an MGM lover, and, and that's why I bought it at $6.76, baby. Yeah. Now it's up to about $14, $15, It's going to be running from there. But uh, we are going to meet in Las Vegas one of these days, Johnny O. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, game to play? You said you're a gambler. Personally, I love craps. Okay, so craps is one thing I haven't really got into. Uh, you know, I always say you – if you don't go into the jungle, you can't get bit by the snake, right? So sometimes, uh, you know, when you like things too much, you stay away from different variations of it. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, my friend uh, and and really uh, uh, close up, um, I would say, a close personal friend of mine. We actually, and I'm trying to. I I wish I knew I was on the show myself. I would have tried to probably uh, figure out. Um, you know, my, my life timeline a little bit more uh, closely, but at, at some extent he was my roommate and I, I want to say it was before door to door at some time or something, but it was kind of like, well, maybe we can uh, just play blackjack for a living. So we kind of uh, went on uh, kind of a, I think we visited three casinos a day for about 30 days straight, something like that and played anywhere from about 10 to 12 hours a day. And uh, I don't want to really get into the strategy of it too much, but we 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 basically understood that the controlled variable of gambling is the wager. So when you play with your buddies, you're like, hey, you lose a bet, you lose a bet, well, double or nothing, double or nothing, double or nothing, double or nothing. So we had kind of an algorithmic strategy type thing set up where basically we would start betting low, we'd fluctuate bets from, I don't know, $5 to $10, and play accordingly uh, with uh, goals and certain uh, targets to hit. And then if we hit them, we'd move to the next casino. If we didn't, we'd double up the wagers and keep playing. And uh, we kind of continuously did that. We could start from paying 5 to $10 hands to 100 to $300 hands pretty, you know, throughout the course of the day. And no matter what the increase in wager, once we hit those targets, we moved on. We had a complete... Uh, philosophy like we had everything predetermined no matter what card showed we knew exactly what we were hitting and kind of stuck to our guns and relied on one another to keep each other strong when when he was killing it i would make him follow the strategy and vice versa and yeah we had a lot of success um myself not so much i think at the end of it i w walked away with about three to four grand but he, he was upwards of 10 so for, for the amount of time playing I, I think we did pretty well well, hey, that sounds like a whole other, that sounds like almost a book. And uh, I know, <laughs> I know a lot also, of uh, car salespeople love to gamble. So you definitely fit the mold there. But as we move right along uh, for time's sake, and maybe we'll talk next week with the rest of the group about things that have surprised us the most in the car business. Uh, what's the TikTok game looking like uh, lately, Johnny O? 
Oh boy, yeah. Um, I was sent a few TikToks, and now I'm gonna forget what it was. There was an awesome one Adriana sent me. Uh, I'm just gonna try to plug in here uh, at Fresh Daily CA, and just had some awesome kind of uh, Canadian content that uh, she had me watching, which I thought was you know some Canadian news and different things Canadian orientated that I thought was uh, kind of uh, entertaining. But that's cool. We'll we'll put we'll see if we can put that up uh, depending on how quickly we get this edited and everything, but. Uh, what do you got for our weekly motivation? That's uh, it's, it's going to have to be extra motivating since we don't have anyone else here, just you and me. I know I'm not really keeping track of the clock that well. I don't know how we're doing for time or how I'm uh, holding up here. I, I wasn't quite expecting the the solo one to one with the uh, auto salesware master of the universe here. I, was, uh, <laughs> I guess it didn't give me time to sink in or uh, soak in all the pressure. It might uh, might come along with it, but. I, I hope I represented myself okay. You did, you did uh, fantastic, and I'm never um, I'm never worried with just me and you because I think between the two of our minds we could go a lot of different places. And uh, with your uh, education that you talked about, leading to door to door and then sales and gambling, I mean, I don't I think that we could probably go on for a few hours if we really wanted to. But uh, for time's sake, as far as uh, weekly motivation. Uh, let's see how well we can set it up for the rest of the crew. Yeah, certainly. And uh, motivation, I, I always, uh, I just have this belief of when you're approaching a decision to really trust yourself. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you can't trust your feelings, what can you trust? And when you start speaking a, a, about kind of the commonalities and common ground we have and uh, how kind of our stars align in similar um, interests and, and, and so forth. I, I watched that video. I remember I saw you online, right? My instinct was like, I got to get a hold of this guy. This guy's a cool <laughs> guy, man. I was like, you know, I mean? people would always say, just do it, girls. Like, what made you get these shirts from, uh, uh, what is it, Oregon, or, right? It's, uh, yeah. And like, people, like, they couldn't make sense of it. They're like, John, you're like, some of my buddies are like, oh, we know guys with shirt making time. I'm like, no, nah, man, this guy, he's, he's legit. I was, you know, I'm going to trust my gut on this one. I saw a video of you talking, you know, you, know, you, you reminded me as a, a a little bit of myself and kind of uh, my own uh, endeavors in social media and, and really uh, in, in life, um, you know, there always comes a, a time where maybe reasoning and logic and mathematic, and I'm a big statistic guy i if i was running a dealership you would be blown away at how i would sit there and analyze statistics it would probably go as far as as the what color people's shoes are that buy certain cars like it would be ridiculous like you'd be this guy's a mad scientist just an absolute nut job right like how i kind of sink in and, and analyze almost virtually everything and observational skills and really everything and like i would know i would want to know on this date this saturday before i run before this sunday meeting or manager runs this sunday meeting what vehicles are number one seller was it auto was it transmissive uh, what how did it vary from year to year what what color was it what is the color that sounds during uh, a rainy day on this particular day versus a sunny day like that's how i am i'm an ultimate strategist and analyst like i would bring it and you one question we skipped over was what surprised you and it surprised me 
how like in our dealership, a lot of that didn't really come into play, man. I would be like sitting there and uh, probably driving virtually almost anyone around me crazy, just really overthinking everything. <laughs> but when, when you take that aside, at the end of the day, sometimes that's not going to lean you in the right direction. So trust your heart, trust your instincts. You might get to meet an awesome guy with an amazing show and amazing t-shirt uh, company line that, uh, you know, makes your life better and makes you feel great about every Monday morning at 5.15 a.m. So I think my motivation is, you know, trust your gut, live life to the fullest, do what you think's right, have integrity, and uh, make the most of yourself. And we'll end on that. I, I don't know if there could be anything